Welcome to Overcoming Anxiety with Dawn Morgan. Good morning, good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are. On today's episode, I have a guest with me and I will welcome her in a minute. However, at this point, before we speak to Christina, I want to issue a warning about the content of today's interview. Many of you have been through various experiences and this episode may remind you of them. In today's episode, we will be discussing OCD, cutting, abuse, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and various forms of trauma. Please take the time to be in a safe space with any support you may need if you think that you may react to these topics. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Overcoming Anxiety with Dawn Morgan. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening wherever you are. Today I have a guest with me, Christina, and she knows firsthand the overwhelming feelings of hopelessness and continuous worrying that stem from depression and anxiety. Having had multiple traumatic events in her life, she was only able to overcome her 30-year battle when she had a hypnotherapy session. Now, with energy healing, herbology, and as a hypnotherapist, she has made it her mission to help other women overcome their own battles with anxiety and depression so they can move on and live happy, thriving lives. Welcome to the show, Christina. We're looking forward to hearing your story. So, over to you. All right. So um, I, I had some things going on as a child that created uh, beliefs that carried on with me through my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, as a kid, I had an addict for a father. He was an addict and an alcoholic. So he loved me very much, but he was not present. Mm-hmm. Um, him and my mom were very young. My mom was very angry and it was quite obvious that uh, her life was not going according to plan. And I always felt that even as a young kid, um, it was, it was very heavy on me. I also, um, I had a family member who was inappropriate with me. Okay. I've never told anybody. Um, it was just always something that carried with me and was just the thing. So it was, it was just chaos as a kid. And often my mom would send me out on extended vacations or to live with other family members. So I didn't really spend a lot of time with my mom. It was a, a lot of back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward to when I was about... 14, I moved back in with my mom and Mm -hmm. she was living with her boyfriend. They bought in a house and, um, I moved back in and it was very, it was, it was not a pleasant situation. Um, her boyfriend was, was not a fan of mine. I mean, I was not a perfect child, but I was, you know, I, I had some issues of my own, but, um, he used to do things to watch my mom beat me. He would, he would instigate issues. And, you know, one time he came into my room and was like, watch this, see what I'm going to have your mom do. 
and then told my mom that I did all like this big, horrible thing just so he could watch her beat me. Oh, wow. That is, that is just unforgivable. I, I, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like, you know, the adults in your life that you're supposed to trust. And then one yeah. of them treats you like that. It was, it was a crazy situation. And of course my mom didn't believe me. Um, but it led to, that is when the anxiety and the depression really kicked in like full throttle. Um, I developed, uh, OCD. Mm-hmm. I became like a severe hypochondriac. So there at one point I locked myself in my room for a week because I was afraid that the bugs were going to like get me and it, and I was just going to be dirty. Like it was this crazy paranoia that I had developed. I would wash my hands until they were raw and bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, I developed cutting. I started cutting myself um, on my hip where nobody could ever see it. But I mean, still to this day, 20 years later, I still slept so much all the time. I had severe body pains, severe migraines all the time because, you know, my, I was so depressed and had such bad anxiety and I went to counseling, but it never really did anything, you know, because I still had that root issue at home. Yeah, sure. Um, but you know, my mom used to yell at me all the time, call me lazy, you know, the never said the words worthless, but hinted to it. And that's, Just, that's clearly how that it, the whole situation was making you feel like that is if, yeah. you know, yeah. Crazy. And I was just a kid and it was, but it just snowballed into this, this thing. I, you know, I, I was bulimic as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was just a big thing until one day I got to school and I had, um, she had just beaten on me that morning before I got on the bus and my friends went and told what we have, it's called a school resource officer. So it's a cop that just volunteers at school. And he took pictures of my neck and the bruises on me. Well, my mom was a prison guard. So when she found out, she sent me away because she couldn't lose her job. She worked for the state. And um, so she sent me to go live with my dad and my grandma. And my dad being an addict was never around. My grandma was mentally checked out at the time. Mm -hmm. So I basically just kind of roamed and I went to school when I wanted to. And I was just this angry kid until I met a guy that I really, really liked. And I just thought he was, you know, I'm 15 at this point and thought he was the greatest thing ever. Is that you, you were looking for some sort of connection, some sort of affection. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted love. Like I just wanted somebody to love me. After some time and getting to know him, we were hanging out at a party and him and his friend stripped me of all my clothes and made me sit in this room full of people with all these people around they wouldn't let me get dressed and they would like, they were like stroking me almost like telling me how pretty I am and how, you know, I just, I, you know, it would help me realize how pretty I was. 
And the entire time, like that's when I really learned to like cave into myself and kind of disassociate from things that are happening. It's just things. It's just happening. It doesn't mean anything. And that's kind of just what I was telling myself. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a like a safety mechanism. You know, this isn't happening to me. I'm I'm outside of myself here. This is just, you know, this is just a thing. Yeah. It's just a thing. Wow. Yeah. So I can I mean, like that was one of the first moments that I remember really doing that. Not too long later, me craving just, I just wanted love, but I attached, um, sex to love. So, you know, I was only good enough if they wanted to have sex with me. Yeah. So I dated this guy for about two years and, um, it went from that situation to him having me do things to him while his friends were watching okay. to he no longer understood what the word no meant. Wow. So it, it, you know, it progressively developed into something that was worse. Having the severe depression that I did because I just wanted that love and I wanted to be accepted, but my mental state was out of control. I was so unhappy and so depressed. I ended up, I smoked a lot of weed, mm-hmm. but ended up eventually um, using pills. Didn't matter what it was, just something to numb me. Yeah. And I, it, that I did that for a couple years and it got me through it, but it didn't do what I was hoping for. No, sure. So it was just a, a temporary um, withdrawal, a temporary sort of fog so that you didn't have to be, be so present. Didn't have to feel. Yeah. It's, you know, you, you do, you know, you when you're a kid, you do anything you can to, you just don't know. So you take all these steps thinking that, you know, this is going to help you or this is what you need, but you just don't know as a kid. No. And I think it's, 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 it's very human for us to want to sort of withdraw from things that are, we know instinctively are harming us, but there's a, a massive mm-hmm. conflict between you want love and attention but this type of love and attention doesn't feel quite right, but it's sort of better than nothing at all. And I, I suspect yes. you had this real sort of conflict going on in your mind there. Yeah, but it wasn't like present. Like I, that's exactly what was going on, but I wasn't aware that's what's going Absolutely. on. I wasn't listening to my body or, you know, like I just wasn't listening to my gut. I just knew that there was love and attention that I could get in this certain way. In your circumstances, you hadn't had a good modeling oh. as a child, had you? you? You hadn't seen what real love and, you know, gentle love and caring love was all about because you, you'd had this very dysfunctional upbringing. So you, you had no example to follow. Yeah. I mean, I had some you know, some family that I was close to and, you know, I was close to my grandpa, but it wasn't constant. Like it was just glimpses of love. It wasn't that, that model that I needed in my life to carry on, you know, into a healthy thriving life. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So that, that situation carried on for a couple of years until I was about 17. And then I was like, you know, I can't, I can't do this anymore. 
Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to get better. Things are going to get better. You know, I was old enough to start working. Things were great. Um, you know, I became a, ma a manager at 17 and I thought my life was just heading in all the right directions. And then I met a, again, another guy. He was physically abusive after dating him for four years. I met, you know, left that, got into another abusive relationship. It became a pattern. Yeah. It was, you know, like I left that sexual abuse, but I, I was getting physically abused by these different men. And after that, I developed a, a, a sex addiction. Oh, okay. So it was, I was, I, I don't know. It was just crazy. I like, I dug myself into work. I worked all the time. And when I wasn't working, I could feel that anxiety and depression. So I distracted myself with a sex addiction and it was out of control. It, you know, it was, it's a sex addiction. It's not a healthy thing. Um, how did that affect you? It made it worse. Yeah. Yeah, sure. It made it worse because I felt I would go and meet a random guy, you know, every few days off of the internet for that moment of just feeling like somebody cared. Mm -hmm. But when that was over, it was, I felt a hundred times worse. And I, I, you know, I hyper fixated on it and I was like, I am disgusting. And it was just this, this domino effect that I couldn't stop repeating. I would do it. I would hate myself, but I wanted love. So I would do it again because I thought that's the only way a person could love me is if I was good enough to have sex with them. And it was yeah. looking back, that's insane, but that's how I handled my, my yeah, it's really, feelings. it's really interesting how the, the, um, the, the subconscious mind works in that situation, isn't it? Because it's sort of yeah. saying, well, you know, you're, you're getting some pleasure from this. So we're going to take you towards that. Um, but actually you had then had the rejection, which was just piling up because this, this sort of re rejection theme, um, and not feeling worth a great deal was just perpetuating wasn't it it was just building and building yeah. and building because every time you you lost any this relationship regardless of what it was it was because you were again rejected you were not worthy enough to stay in someone's life yeah exactly i know it's exactly so sad it's i mean looking back i'm grateful i went through that stuff yeah because you know, I'm able to see things from a different light, but oh my gosh, like that, my heart hurts for that girl. It's like, <laughs> you know, that nobody, that she felt that she needed to go have sex with all of these random men or abusive men, whatever it may be, just to find that love. Like that's horrible. Nobody should ever feel that way. No, exactly. And and sadly, there's a lot of people that do go through that. You know, I, I know yeah. of others that have, have experienced something like that. And it it really is quite and not necessarily to, to the 
the degree that you did, but even to mm -hmm. a slightly lesser degree, you know, as teenagers where yeah. we're sort of pretty messed up and confused anyway, aren't we as teenagers trying to find our way in the in our lives and, and make sense of stuff. And, and eventually, you know, with, if we've got good support, then we do, you know, we all make mistakes, but that's quite normal. But, but yeah, that, that, um, that attachment mm -hmm. issue from childhood really does come through into adult life if we're if we're not aware of it and that that's the thing with you you just you would you were just reacting responding to to get that love without actually thinking about the consequences yeah well it was that was that dysfunction that abuse was what was familiar to me yeah i didn't know any different i knew it was not okay but it was familiar yeah. So I was just repeating these patterns and, you know, and as a teenager, I had, um, counseling mm -hmm. that clearly didn't work, but as an adult, you know, I'm like 26 at this point, I'm doing all the self-help things yep. and, you know, every, everything, you know, reading all of these books and the, listening to these audios and doing all these things, thinking I'm getting better. I'm like, okay, you know, if I behave this way, you know, I need, you know, this will, things will be okay. But that just wasn't the case. I had these deep rooted beliefs that were just causing my life to explode. Yeah. So I ended up feeling, thinking I was great and my life was getting better. And I met who I thought at the time was just the man of my dreams. Mm -hmm. He was he he was that tall dark handsome charming so smart businessman mm -hmm. and i was just in awe of this man i thought he was just like he could walk on water yeah and uh, so we had this great romance and we moved in with each other after about 6 or 8 months mm -hmm. and i was just in love with this man I just, you know, like my life was finally taking off. Shortly after, I learned that he was an alcoholic. Oh, dear. And what that was for him was he would go to work, come home, and polish off a 12-pack of beer and be completely gone and, or passed out or whatever it may be that night by 7 o'clock. Wow. And yeah, and it was, it was hard because I was still connecting sex to love. He was an alcoholic, so he wouldn't, he didn't want to have sex because he was too busy drinking and being passed out or being sick, you know, whatever it was. Um, and so it became very toxic really quickly. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, um, I was at a point where I was just almost begging for his love mm -hmm. while he was out cheating or, you know, drinking. And it became, you know, he used to tell me all the time that, that he wished I was his ex or, um, I was never going to be as good as his ex. And 
ouch, that must have really hurt because that's that's bringing the rejection thing in again. So the fact that he yeah. he is drunk and therefore doesn't have doesn't want to have sex with you, there's rejection there, and then he starts saying these hurtful things, and there's yeah. more rejection, and yeah. So how how was that triggering? You know, where was your anxiety at then? I did everything I could to make him happy. Like I scrambled, everything I did revolved around making this man happy so he would love me. And it was like, oh my gosh, I didn't go get him his 12 pack of beer after work. Like, and like I would have panic attacks. It was, it was crazy. And then I developed with his cheating and, you know, the things he would say to me, I developed this intense paranoia. And I was always, no matter what he was doing, I was like, oh my gosh, he's with another girl. He's talking to his ex. And it was, it was crazy. But the thing that kept the relationship going and gave me that hope that thing was going to, everything was going to work out was because during the day when he hadn't drank his first beer, he would give me love and he would you know, oh, I'm so lucky to have you and you're such an amazing girlfriend. But by the time he's off at work and sitting in his recliner, it was a whole different story. But I had that glimpse. Yes. You had something to hold on to, didn't you? And and I suppose, you know, many of us think that we can sort of, if we love somebody enough, we can fix them. We can change them. Yeah. Yeah. Things will change. Well, my love will make this better. Yes. Magically magically. I know. Um, I tried leaving a couple times, but I was like, oh my gosh, I love this man so much. I'll walk through fire for him, you know, and which is common for women who are abused. Absolutely. It's, it's, well, because you have this love, but it's this toxic love that you, that you've created with this person And it's like this obsessive attachment too, because like you said, like you just want this love. So fast forward about two years in, I'm done. You know, my, I, I have a daughter and I'm just like, Christina, what are you doing? Like that your daughter is watching this. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And, um, I decided we had gotten into a big fight over something and I decided I'm leaving. I messaged him. I was like, when I get home tonight, I'm packing up my stuff and I'm moving out where I can't do this anymore. He ended up going home because it stressed him out so much. And by the time I got off work, he was already 24 beers in. So I get up and he's sitting on the porch, barely able to stand. And I knew I was like, this is, this is not going to be a good situation. So I'm walking, I open up the trunk of my, my SUV and I'm walking to the house and I'm trying to ignore him and he's yelling at me. So eventually it happens so fast, but eventually we end up by my car and I'm trying to like leave and he smacks me in the head with a beer bottle. Oh, flip. And, um, 
it, it escalated from there. So it went from him hitting me in the face to him strangling me. And I'm trying to fend him off. You know, I'm trying to hit him and, you know, do everything I can. This man is six, four, I'm five, two. So, (laughs) I mean, he had a size difference on me, but, um, he's beating on me, you know, we're going through this. And then all of a sudden he has me pinned up against the wall, strangling me. And you could see the light switch in his eyes and he just walked away. Wow. And yeah, yeah. I call uh, my mom who at the time was living close to me and I had dropped her, my daughter off with her. So I called her. I was like, I need you to come get me. I need help. So she comes, she sees my face at that time. It was just like my eyes, like swollen closed or whatever. And we call the police, the police show up. He's like, Oh, I don't know what happened. She just walked into the house like that. It was the weirdest thing. (laughs) And (laughs) so the cops are like, this is crazy. So they arrest him. You know, we go through court. He ends up going to prison. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm going through our shed. And I have probably $500 in returns of beer bottles. And I was just like, why the shed? It's like the stack of beer bottles is like three feet high. And I'm sitting there and I'm just, I can't believe that not only was I enabling him, but why didn't I see this? Like, I know this was a problem and it just, I don't know. I really sat, I sat there for a good while. Mm -hmm. Think contemplating. And I was like, I need a change. So he's in prison. I meet a guy. This guy ends up being a, a drug addict, but he has three kids. He moves in with me because he's losing his home. And I'm like, oh, I fell in love with these kids. I fell in love with them. I even asked to see if I could adopt them. But, um, so he's, he's doing his thing and I'm trying to leave camp. You know, he, he won't move out. I try to kick his, his, or I move his stuff out. He moves it back in when I'm not there. It's a mess. So one day I pack up my stuff and I was like, this is it. I'm done. I can't be in this town anymore. I'm going to start this new life, new life, new Christina, new location. I pack up my stuff. I secretly, he didn't know, but I secretly put in my notice at my job. They were incredibly supportive people that I will never, ever be able to show how much I appreciate them. But um, I move from Oregon up into Washington state, never been there before. And I was, I was so excited. Um, because I was going to start this new life and I wasn't going to have that toxicity anymore. I was there for about a year and a half. What were you doing? So you got, you got there and you got settled and you, I guess you got a job and. Yeah. Yeah. So I was working, you know, with the hospital and things were doing great. Um, you know, I thought, you know, I was still working two jobs, Mm -hmm. but things were better. The funny thing is, I moved up where my mom was living. And even though still to this day, my mom is very toxic to me. Mm-hmm. I have always still craved that love and have tried to have that closeness with her, even though the toxicity is still there, which is, you know, like I moved to a different state to, 
be near her? There is like there it just is a, didn't make any sense. I know. Well, the thing is, I think people generally, you know, the the parent bond can be really strong, and that you know when you're yeah. when you're craving love, you know, the, the closest mm -hmm. person to you quite often is a parent, and if only you could get their love, and you 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 carry on and on and on. And many people I've known, you know, the the, the liberating part of that that toxic relationship is when it's not um, it's not required anymore, and it's accepting the person for who they are and understanding you're never going to get it. That can be really painful when that that can, you just can't get that connection at any time. If it doesn't matter what you do yeah. or how you behave or how much you want it, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, you think like you were saying earlier, you think that if you just love enough or you do yeah. good enough, you know, you be good enough and all of these different relationships that something will change. Yeah. You just, you just have to be good enough. Yes. And and, you know, in hindsight, I see all of, you know, I replay all these things and it's, you know, it was just, it's the sad little girl that just wanted love so badly, you know, you, even as a 28 year old woman, it was still just a sad little girl wanting love. I think and I was I chasing think, it. Yeah. I think the thing is we all want love, don't we? We, we all crave yeah. love because it's that human connection that is, is so fulfilling but I, I think we get confused as to how we can get that love and what that love really means and, and perhaps who can give it to us. And Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a, this strange conflict that many of us go through at some point in our lives. Yeah. Well, and it manifests in so many different ways too. Mm -hmm. Like you, that internal struggle, you, you search for it in certain ways, but that that sadness just manifests in different, like for me anyways, it, you know, that anxiety and that sadness would manifest in every situation. It was something different, whether it was an eating disorder or a sex addiction, a pill addiction, whatever it was, you try to ease your pain and it's it's just a disaster an internal disaster when you're trying to fill that hole so yeah i was chasing that 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 love mm -hmm. especially from my mom even though i knew it was never going to be a good situation like i said i was like a whole new me new life things were going to be a better i met some amazing people and then my dad died and the week my dad died, my dad was in Idaho. He was eight hours away. The week my dad died, my car broke down and I lived in the middle of the woods an hour away from everything. My mom's husband, he came to pick me up to take me to go get a uh, rental car. Mm -hmm. And the drive was an hour. He tried to get very inappropriate with me while my daughter was sitting in the back seat. And yeah, my world came crumbling down, just crumbling because I trusted him. Yeah, absolutely. I developed, I, I mean, I became suicidal. Um, I, I developed 
I already had eating disorders previously, but I became like obsessively hyper fixated on how I ate. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, and money, that's money and, and food was always something that I could control. Yeah. To an extent, but I thought I had control. So I always hyper fixated. That's why I dove into work all the time. Or, you know, I always, I had these eating disorders throughout my life, but I just detached from life. Like my, I, I went through the motions of life, but it was like watching it on a movie screen for several months. You know, I went to work, I played the role. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I went and I was that cheerful girl and, you know, who laughed and everybody, you know, got along with her. Well, not everybody, but most people got yeah. you know, along with her. I would go to work, do that for 12 hours and then come home and could barely move, you know, because I was just, there was no life in me. Yeah, sure. And my daughter watched it. It was like, it was, it was not a good situation for either of us. And she still remembers that stuff. Seven, Mm, seven or eight. Yeah. So she wasn't itty bitty. She was old enough to understand something was going on. But finally, after, gosh, I went through it for several months and it felt like no matter what I did, I could get myself out of that pain. I didn't want medication Mm -hmm. because medication, I already had a pill problem in the past. I didn't want to start that again, but all the medication that they gave me, I felt worse. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it numbed that pain, but I also couldn't get through my days. Like I couldn't even fake it. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, I just really, I felt hopeless. Like I was going to, I remember thinking I'm going to get through my daughter's adult life and that's it. Like, I just, I wanted to be there for her. Mm -hmm. Sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. And, um, she is the only thing that kept me going. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit and I'm working in an ER. And, you know, (laughs) like most people, COVID, everybody's freaking out and about COVID. Mm -hmm. And they send out the first, um, here in America, they sent out a, a a package. So people, they sent money to help people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, this is my chance. I've got to get up. I'm going to go somewhere where I know no one that I've never, ever been before. And I'm going to start my life over. And this time I'm really going to do it. I don't know how, I don't know where, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I packed up my stuff, jumped in the car and drove until I found a place. I was like, this is a cool place and decided I got a house here and found a job. A week later I had moved. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Like I was done. I was done, you know, after spending 33 years in that, that horrible, never ending pit of just hopelessness and, 
anger and sadness. It just, I was, you know, it was not healthy. I was sick. I was making myself physically sick. Yeah. So I moved and then I, I found hypnotherapy, Mm -hmm. had a couple sessions and then, um, it changed my life. Yeah. Like I was able to work through, I don't have that anxiety, those heart palpitations every day or feeling like you can't breathe. Yeah, sure. I I was finally able to work through all that. I don't, you know, I'm, I don't have wake up in the morning thinking, gosh, I can't wait to go to sleep because I just don't want to live this life. You know, mm-hmm. it was truly a life changing situation for me. I made the decision. Like I finally made the decision. Things are going to change. And I attracted the things that were going to help me through it. Yeah, absolutely. And hypnotherapy is incredibly powerful by sort of unpacking some of the stuff that, that happened before and reframing it and, and sort of leaving it where it belongs in the past and sort of drawing the line almost and saying, okay, well that happened, but it, it doesn't need to continue. We can just sort of stop yeah. it, put a big full stop there to sort of say enough is enough. That's in the past. And I'm going to move forward now with different beliefs. Exactly. Well, yeah, because I never even thought that my, the things that happened to me as a four or five-year-old had any effect for the d- disastrous moments as an adult, you know, and then you get into your subconscious and you're, and you start seeing like all these patterns and you start understanding them and you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like my mind is blown and yeah. you are able to rewire those beliefs and patterns. And it's when well, you're think, able to do that. Yeah. It's I amazing. What happens so often is when we've got our immature mind, we, we create rules and beliefs that aren't actually quite true, you know, that, um, yeah. and, and they, they pile upon one another because, you know, our, our mind, especially until we're sort of five, six, seven years old, we can't, it's all about us. We can't actually put ourselves in somebody else's shoes or understand perspectives from other people's eyes. So, you know, if something horrible is going on as a five-year-old, you, your belief is it's because of you. Um, and therefore you end up with all this stuff and these beliefs of it happens often enough, you know, whether parents intend it or not, we end up with all these, these sort of really un- unhelpful beliefs that are deep in our subconscious mind and it carries with us. And that's your example is, 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 is incredibly painful and incredibly sad, the whole story, but it all started when you were just a a very young child. I was so, yeah. And I had never known. I thought it was just stuff happening to me that it didn't, wasn't like, I didn't ever put the two and two together that these, this abuse, these addicts, these alcoholics, that was familiar to me. Yeah. As a child, that was my, that was where love came from. That was how love was shown, you know, yeah. and that it, it created that pattern and those traumatic events, trauma sits in your nervous system, yeah, which creates these issues like the anxiety and depression, and it just compounds on each other. And So it's like, you really have to do a lot of internal work. Reading self-help books might not cut it. Like there's a, Mm. 
there's that in internal work, the subconscious, you know. Yeah, and it's what what's really interesting is we we end up with this conflict between our conscious mind, what we know logically is is right or wrong, and our subconscious mind. So our subconscious mind, in your case, is taking you to this model of what love means, which is is violence and and yeah. all of that sort of aggression, and you know, which which morphs into sex addiction, sex addiction and <laughs> and um and then but our conscious mind is is saying well actually this can't be right this this, this doesn't logically this isn't the right thing to be doing and therefore we got this massive conflict and that's what causes anxiety because we we just yeah. don't know what you know what should we be doing because i i know logically i i should be doing this or i shouldn't be doing something but at the same time it just feels like i should well yeah because your body is going you have this conflict between your subconscious and your conscious and your body's like uh what yeah. <laughs> like i don't know what to do so here's some anxiety yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, the problem is, you know, our feelings override logic all the time because they're so much more powerful than logic is. So, and that's why we end up going with these deep beliefs and understandings and, and just are driven by this sort of these beliefs and understandings and feelings and, and you know, well, that that's your model. So that's what you have to do. That's your beliefs. So that's where you need to go, even though your logical mind is saying, uh, -uh that's not right. There is so much unknown about our minds. Mm. I mean, if you look at it, what our subconscious is 90, 95% of what makes up our mind. And yeah, definitely we have, we, it's important to dig into that because when you're having repeating traumatic patterns or, you, you know, you're suffering with anxiety or depression, you need to figure out why, because sometimes the, the standard, the more common methods of treatment might not be able to get to those things, yeah. you know, that's buried into your subconscious. It just, there's so much going on and we, we don't connect a lot of it most times. No. And it is, it is powerful when we do see that, when we start mm -hmm. to see, or even if we have, you know, I, I'm in one of my um, episodes, I talk about the sort of the chink in the armor when, when we have a little bit of hope that things could be different. So once we open that up and just have a little bit of hope, then it allows us to explore different things in different ways and maybe start to question a few yeah. things. And then once we start doing that, then it just opens up into this vast open opportunity to make really big changes in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, it's, it's exactly what it is. You just need something to start that domino effect, but in reverse yeah. from what you're used to. Absolutely. So tell us about your life after your now. therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually ended up getting certified in it. And right. I was just like, this is <laughs> like, I need to help other people because yeah. I know there's people that have has, that have stories like mine or, you know, or other extremely traumatic events, whatever the case may be. And they're suffering with the anxiety and the depression like I did. Yeah. And I know that that, that hopelessness, I know that hole that you feel like you can never scratch your way out of. Yeah. So I went and I got certified in it and I was like, I'm helping people. This is what I'm going to do. 
And I actually ended up meeting a guy and he has just been incredible to me. So he, I still, you know, even with hypnotherapy, you know, I'm night and day compared to the person that I was. Yes. But there's always habits that you have to unlearn. Yes. You know, it's always, you're always a work in progress. And this poor man, he like, I'll have a moment, you know, and he will be like, you know, Christina, you're pissing me off or Christina, like, this is ridiculous, but let's work through this. We're going to work through this. I'm going to sit here with you. We're going to talk. We're going to get this figured out. And he's essentially retraining me to be a, a healthy non-toxic person. Because when you go through all of these toxic situations and toxic relationships, I don't care what anybody says, you pick up toxic traits. Absolutely. Because that's the modeling. That's the learning that you're taking and, and you're putting your own meaning on it because we all put our own interpretation and meaning on things. And, and it's, it's what, you know, it's what you've experienced and, you know, we can't negate those experiences. And as you, and you were in it for a long, long time, mm-hmm. you know, so getting relearning, as you say, you know, you weren't born with those, those toxic traits, which yeah. means you can get rid of them, but it, it, yes, it can take time. Absolutely. Well, and you need, sometimes you, you need somebody to show you what healthy is. Yes, absolutely. And I, that is such an important point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I can do all of this work on my own, but if I didn't have somebody who's showing me like, this is what love is, this is, this is how you behave in a healthy manner. I would just be winging it off of the stuff, you know, and modeling it close to something that is from my past. Yeah. And, and the thing is, we don't know what we don't know. Exactly. We can't can't look in a direction to find something if we're unaware that we don't know it in the first place. You know, it's it's, if we don't know what questions to ask or what expectations to have, then we they just don't crop up in our conscious mind at all, do they? So having somebody to point that out is amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's it's been I mean, regardless of whatever may happen. I will always have such a deep, profound love for him because he has, he, he's shown me, you know, what healthy is, you know, that I can feel safe. Like for the first time, you know, I feel safe and, And and that in itself is such an incredible gift. Yeah, sure. And what's the, what's the comparison of the different loves then from when you had, you know, the, the guy who ended up beating you up and going to prison. What, how does that compare with the love you had for him and the love you now have for your, your current partner? I love that you asked me that because I think about this all the time, mm-hmm. almost with some embarrassment, because I was so sure I loved these men yeah. in those, at those times. But having something healthy now, like a healthy love, it opened your eyes. You're like, Whoa, that's, that was just, (laughs) that was just bad. Um, with them, it was a constant, like almost 
like I, like I couldn't breathe an anxiety, obsessive love Mm -hmm. where I was just like, it was, I don't think it was love. I think it was just an obsessive desire to be loved from men who was drip feeding me to get me what, to get what they need. And it was chaotic and and just anxiety ridden in like, I felt it in my gut, like this knot in my gut all the time with them. Mm -hmm. Now compared to how I feel now, it's almost like the ocean has calm. Like the storm is over. It's, I don't know how to explain it, but it's a calm, freeing, safe feeling. Like I feel safe and calm. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's, um, and I I mean, it's just so amazing and just wonderful to hear your story. It's, it's incredibly sad and it's, it's actually very painful to hear. And I'm sure a lot of, you know, my listeners will, will see the same, but it's a very powerful story. And for me, what it does is it gives a huge amount of hope to people who maybe find themselves in in that toxic situation or that that repeating pattern, whatever it may be, it may not be exactly like yours, but you know, repeating patterns of failed relationships or difficult moments or toxic relationships, whether it's a love relationship or not, or a so-called love relationship or not. Right. It's <laughs> you know, it's whether, you know, toxic relationships with work colleagues or friends or family or anybody, yeah. you know, it's it's an incredibly powerful story to show that there is life after that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important for people to realize that trauma is trauma and it's never going to be the same as somebody else. So if like, I've been through a lot of events that is traumatic for me, but to somebody else that might be a walk in the park. Yes. Like, you know, or my trauma is heavy compared to somebody whose traumatic event was say, I don't know. It could be anything like a parent yelling at him or, you know, a boyfriend, you know, being a little pushy or whatever. Trauma is trauma and it is very personal. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't agree with that more. And, and, and in, in my own story, there's times in my life where I've suffered things where I haven't been traumatized by them, but I know other people in that same situation have. And then there's other times in my life where, you know, I've had this incredible anxiety over things that most people just say, oh, well, I don't know what you're worried about. You know, it's, it's this sort of, there is, there are no rules around trauma. There are no rules around the anxiety. They show up, um, because our, because of this sort of huge mix of different emotions and beliefs and experiences and just something just triggers it. And it's just, you know, and some things are are typically uh, seen as trauma. Obviously, a lot of the stuff that you went through, nobody would deny that all of that is is trauma. Um, But as you say, even the things that some people would just say, well, that's just normal part of living can be incredibly traumatic to some. Yeah. 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 And it's and not, I think, and, and I think comparison nev- is never helpful. 
you know, because if yes. you're feeling trauma, it it's valid. It's not about, well, mine isn't as bad as, or mine's worse than it. That doesn't help anybody. Um, so trauma is trauma, regardless of how it shows up. I think people need to stop comparing their stories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had, I've had people be like, well, my, my story, you know, it's not, and I've even said this in the past, like mine's not as bad as other people's. So I shouldn't have anything to complain about. Like, that's not, that's not how this works. (laughs) I think that's something that we're taught as children though. You know, I mean, I, I remember my, you know, grandmother saying to me, you know, why aren't you eating your vegetables? There'd be children in Africa that'd be happy to have that. And and so you grow up with this idea that comparison is, is um, part of life. And, and it's even worse now with, with social media, because it's, it's all about, you know, where do I sit on the scale of, of, of trauma or unhappiness or whatever it may be. And because this, and, but there's always somebody who is going to be perceived to have things worse than you or perceived Absolutely. to have things better. And comparison just does not help in, in any realm yeah. of life. And I think I'm glad you brought up social media because I think social media, like, yeah, there's a lot of groups where like we're mental health awareness, you know, and you know, they're really trying to be, bring awareness to like anxiety and depression, you know, mental health issues, PTSD, but social media, so many people portray this perfect life that it's, it's created an even bigger stigma on mental health. Because if you, if you admit that you have these issues and you need help, you cannot compare to that beautiful woman on her Instagram, who's just living life to the fullest. Yeah, exactly. But there's a, there's another side. Yeah. There's another side to social media, which is actually quite destructive. There's, you know, I've been on a few anxiety and depression groups and, and there's a lot of, and I talk about it in, in one of my shows about the fact that, you know, people get stuck in this anxiety room. So you get an anxiety or depression or whatever it is. And you end up in this anxiety room and you meet a lot of other people who are in that room as well. And, and, you know, they tell you all these things about how to cope and you discuss how bad it is. And, you know, and you end up just feeding the issue and you end up as becoming a victim sitting there and and learning how to become that victim in a, in a slightly more pleasant way. Um, when actually what you need is you need somebody to show you where the door is to get out of that anxiety room and to, you know, to have that hope. And, and I know, you know, I I've tried to instill hope in some people there and they are steadfast in their belief that, you know, this is my life. This is how it's going to be forever. And, and, you know, you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped, but those, those groups are actually incredibly toxic yes. just as much as the, I've got a perfect life, which is, is so false that nobody has a perfect life. No, um, we're all a mess. I know. I know. And it, it just, a lot of those, those social media posts is actually screaming insecurity because Absolute, ha- having yes. to outsource your, your, your wellness and your happiness to other people through validation is in itself very toxic. Siri, it's, I, you know what, honestly, I am not a fan of social media. I'm on social media because of business, but other than that, it is a very toxic place because like you said, 
there's the social media. I got to be perfect just like this person. But there's these people who are just ruminating in this and women tend to do this more than men. They sit in these groups and they're like, yeah, you know, it's like this misery meets company and it just escalates and escalates and they get to a point where there's like, no one can help me. It's not possible. It's not medically possible. This is who I'm going to be in there. You can't change it. Don't try to help me. No. And that's so incredibly sad. They do. They, they, they feed off each other. Yeah. Breaks my heart. I know it's, it's just really, really sad. And, but you know, and there's other groups that are very supportive, you know, so I'm not saying that not all social media is bad and that's far from it, but the, you know, the two extremes are just not helpful to anybody. Well, Um, yeah, but people gravitate to the extremes and the worst, you know, the bad stuff more than they would gravitate to the good. I know. I know it is really sad. So, but your yeah. story, it has an, an amazingly happy ending and that provides a huge amount of hope for so many people. And you are just such a, a inspiring lady. You really are. I mean, it's, it's just been fabulous speaking to you. And I, I'm you. so privileged that you chose to share your story with me. I am so excited because I think you're just an amazing woman. And this is my first time publicly sharing my story and I couldn't have picked a better person to do it with. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just feel incredibly privileged and, and let us know. So how can we contact you? So if anybody wants to contact you, cause you're in the U S whereabouts are you? I'm um, actually right now I'm in Washington state. Okay. Um, and I will be in Tennessee next month, but I do most of everything because of COVID most of everything is done online. My website is www.christinajnl, and that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-J-N-L.com. Fabulous. Christina's story is incredibly powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me here with you today. It's been fabulous talking to you. Thanks for listening. Please click the subscribe button so that you are notified when each new episode is launched and leave your comments or reviews, which helps me and other listeners know what is good. Let me know your thoughts on any of my ideas, and you will find contact details for me in the show notes. And why not come along and join my Facebook group, Finding Freedom Club.